Welcome, dear listeners. This is the Dr. Metal Podcast, another surface where I try to spread my thoughts on metal culture, subculture, and its connections to art, religion, history, and mythology. My name is Janos Fejes, historian of religions and aesthetician from Hungary, with a PhD in literary and cultural studies. I am currently speaking to you from New York City, from the headquarters of drmetal.home.blog. Please look for the same name, Dr. Metal, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as well for additional content. Please remember not to write it with a C, but with a K. Let us start today's episode. The beginning is a very delicate time, stated by Princess Irolan in the introduction of David Lynch's Dune movie from almost four decades of time. Now this year we have seen the emergence of a new adaptation of the Magnificent Dune series, at least the first episode of a hopefully three-part series. I am more than sure that on this point neither of you need any introduction for the world or the movie itself. We have waited quite much for it. We had two waves of hype for it, but it has arrived. I have posted quite much about it on my social media, both Facebook and Instagram, as I was also in a huge anticipation to see how this legendary story is put on the big screen. Once again, Amber a humble but loved attempt of Lynch and never created magnificence of Hodorowsky. First I have a confession to make, I am not an old Dune fan. When last September the first official trailer came out was the moment it caught me. Naturally, I was aware earlier that there is this universe of science fantasy, but somehow it never touched me. Neither the PC games nor the books. I knew about the sandworms, the spies, read and heard the names of Harkonnen and Atreides, but never really went into it. The first trailer told me, you have to get into this. So in September 2020 I sank into the world of Dune. Since then I read the first three novels only and had to take a break in the process as we came to the US. So naturally big books could not be transported with us. The last year in anticipation of the movie made me a huge fan of the whole series and the world itself. It is really one of a kind. Now I do not wish to unlock anything from the movie or the literary experience. I will leave all that for the individual readers but I have some certain thoughts that I wish to share with you that may give another perspective or simply be an ignition for fruitful debates. If you followed my social media presence in connection with this topic, you may await some kind of ultimate judgment about it, but I wish to assure you I do not wish to state anything that is bigger than me. I would like to say some words about Denis Villeneuve's Dune as you would give a report about a book club meeting. As in the end of the day, Mr. Villeneuve's movie is the manifestation of his own reading. What he thought to be the most important, what to stress and what to leave out. Although he had a bigger budget to do such things, it is still his vision about a story that was thought to be unfilmable. Since its official US release, I have seen the movie three times in its entirety and some of the scenes even more times. The first trailer and the first reading of the first book, oh the first, you remember, the beginning is a very delicate time, so these gave me the impressions that this universe is vast. It is a universe of extremes. If somebody is smart, they are extremely smart. If somebody is loyal, they are extremely loyal. 
If somebody has special powers, then those are extreme powers. Powers of the body or powers of the mind. Or the extremities of the most important planet in the known universe. The exposition given by Chani is a smart move, as many of the key concepts are listed in her short monologue that is followed by a strong imagery. Here we can see one of the great features of the cinematography itself. It is slow and it is fast. Slow where it is needed and fast where that is needed. It is never an average pace, so that the extremities are clearly shown here. As the source material is somewhat narrated by Princess Irolan, a character not yet unwelled in our movie, so Chani is the real love interest of Poe and the key figure in his dreams, it seems as a great choice of change in narration. The ominous presence of both her and Jamis creates a perfect tension for the last scene of the movie. This exposition makes me somewhat confused as well. It gives quite a bit of basic background information, while other elements of the movie do not work that way. Take the example of sword fighting and the mentats, which leads us to the biggest lows of the movie, an unbalanced focus on details. In the scene when Gurney Halleck is training Paul for fencing, he explains the working method of the shields in a brief sentence, the slow blade penetrates the shield. That is great and important, and we see how the shields work in case of projectiles and missiles, those also had to move slowly in accordance of harming the shield's user. But we see twice that there are laser weapons as well, once when Duncan Idaho is escaping the destroyed Araki in Spaceport, and when at the shelter of Lyat Kynes, they are ambushed. In neither cases there is no reference to that shields indicate brutal explosions to both the shields user and the laser weapon user in case of contact. That is quite an important element, I guess, which would give a better understanding for newcomers of Dune to the whole sword-fighting nature of this far future setting. I would only mention it by a half-sentence, that when Duncan Idaho is leaving the space for his ornithopter, the vehicle clearly has a shield on while the Harkonnen warship shots with their laser weapon. Now comes the example of Mentats. Maybe I can deal with the problem that the whole analog universe of Dune is not explained from the starting point of the Butlerian and Jihad, but the figures of Mentats are not properly introduced. Of course, we have one moment when Tufir Habat is working like a human computer and the Mentats lip feature can be detected both on him and Peter de Vries, but the whole concept and importance of them is neglected, although they are part of the extremities that I suggested above. A quite important element to forget, I guess. And here we arrive to some of the characters and their representation, namely Peter de Vries, Dr. Wellington Yui, and the Baron Harkonnen himself. The dynamics of these three characters make somewhat the main plot point of Dune become weak, namely the betrayal of House Atreides. If you do not stress the extreme intelligence of Mentats, and do not ever tell a word about the extreme loyalty of an imperial conditioned physician, then you have no idea how big a deal it is that Dr. Yui is betraying his house. The way it is presented in Wilhelm of Dune regards the whole plot to be a typical betrayal murder story, missing the real essence, the extreme in it. Now we arrive to the Baron, who is only shown to be a cruel and cunning and not the evil genius as he is. Baron Harkonnen is so frightening because he is not only distorting the body but distorting the mind, almost outsmarting the whole Imperium for his own interest. Now in the movie he seems like a bailiff of the Emperor, who on the other hand is greatly left in the shadows for the first movie. In this regard you cannot really hate either the Baron or Peter de Vries as they are not shown evilly intelligent, 
cannot be really shocked by Dr. Yu's betrayal too. On the other hand, the evil nature of the Baron is best shown in the last scene of Dr. Yu and Duke Leto. They are not put to the commandship of the Harkonnen army, but the Duke is humiliated in his own ceremonial hall, bare naked and paralyzed. Well, another thing came just to my mind, the importance of poison is totally left out of the Dune movie. A half sentence about the War of Assassins concept could give a bigger impact of the whole operation conducted by the Emperor and the Baron, as it is more than unusual thing in the universe of Dune itself. While poison and assassination are more common, here highlighted by the Harkonnen soldier in the wall with the Hunter Seeker. But if you are well read in the universe of Dune, all these things will not bother you, as almost like Mr. Villeneuve would say, you know all that, let's talk about something else. But not everybody knows these background information. These were the things that are in the book but are not in the movie, but feel like important. And there are a big series of things that are not in the book, but should be in everybody's minds. The first one is the whole Caladan part of the movie. Naturally, the Gom Jabbar episode is a must-be, and a great example of how you can translate the inner monologues of the book into picture, referring now to the part when Paul is tortured by the box and his thoughts are shown as flashes of fire, heat and a burnt hand, etc. His first dream shown of Charney bears once again the dual nature of extremities. We see a woman in a desert while we hear the rains of Caladan in the reality of Paul's sleep, simply yet amazing idea. The breakfast is also a kind of an exposition where we get many information in some minutes. The nature of the voice, the importance of ceremonies and forms in the Imperium, and the extremity of the universe itself, leading to the herald of the change scene with space travel, a shot of how the ranks are in the house of Atreides, etc. I wish to give a great thumb up for the portrayal of the guild navigators, more mysterious than ever in their space suits filled with the spies' guests. Well, that's another thing that is not explained but detected by readers once again. Also, the chat of son and father amongst the family graveyard of the Atreides underlines how extreme it is that a noble house is moving to another planet. It is something not of an everyday fashion, even in the world of Dune. The picture where we see the rows of ancestors' graves gives the depth of time. How long was Caledon the home of the Atreides? And as the navigators were mentioned, I wish also to explicate my A for showing another view on the work of them. As it is never really explained by Herbert how the navigators do the space travel with their highliners, here the ship are shown as worm tubes that break the continuity of space and let the passengers travel vast distances through these devices. Going to Arrakis with the worms, I think that the Shai Hulud are shown in their greatest here. Truly they are gods who attract both horror and fascination in the same moment. And then we arrive to the spice melange that is somewhat less represented as well as I expected it. I mean, maybe the ceremonial dinner at Arakin seemed like a waste of time, but shows us the real value of spice. Even the house of that rules the planet would consume only a spoonful of it a day. In the second part, hopefully we will see how the Fremen consume it, giving a kind of a viewpoint on how important it is really for not only the Fremen, but for all in the universe, who wishes to rule or search the depths of a human mind. About the treating of the Fremen and the Sardaukar. This is something I really fancy in this movie. Both the Fremen and the Sardaukar are to be known as religious fanatics on some levels. The Fremen and the missionary protective are to be dealt with in a later movie, but here we have the Emperor's finest warriors, the religious zealot Sardaukar army, 
who here are shown as once baptized in blood and fanaticized for the emperor. The musical interpretation the priests wrote singing may give the impression of far eastern warrior monks, but they are more brutal. If you remember Star Wars, there we only had almost one scene, but the reputation of the Imperial stormtroopers were created. The first sequence of episode 4, but there they did not fight an elite force, so in all the later movies they are naturally mocked. But here we see, receive the information that the Harkonnen need the sword Okar, as the Atreides soldiers are the best in the armies of the great houses, so the Harkonnen army is no match for them. And it is seen in the Siege of Arakin. A handful of Atreides soldiers not clad in full battle armor easily stop a big force of Harkonnen warriors without loss. But the sword Okar killed them all. Later on, when Duncan Idaho kills many sword Okar warriors, we can really feel what a great warrior he himself is. The faith of the Fremen is not articulated yet clearly, only some of the important points are introduced in the end of the movie, making Lady Jessica as a Sayadina, and some references to the path laid before she and Paul that could be read as a superstition, but in the end becomes so much more. The Bene Gesserit and their activities are left in mystery mostly, but their abilities are greatly shown by both the Reverend Mother and Lady Jessica. After the first screening of the movie, I read many times that the performance of Rebecca Ferguson is far the best of the whole movie, and I have to agree with it. When she is a mother, she is caring, educative and protective. When there is a grave danger, she is harsh and lethal. Think about the scene on the ornithopter using her voice, or besting Stilgar. Stilgar, who is another awesomely formulated character here, his scene in the Arakian throne room is amongst the best ones, giving a general and profound impression on all the Fremen. They all represent the extremities that are needed for Dune. And does it Paul too? His awakening is witnessed step by step through the whole movie. His connection with the Rockies, Chani and Jamis in his dreams shows the real nature of dreams, as those dreams are messages from the deep. The dreams tell us that Chani may kill Paul while Jamis may be his teacher, and later Jamis really teaches him how to kill and Chani hands him the lethal weapon. All are small bricks in a huge building of being reborn from total destruction. His prescience is biased and enhanced, biased by reality and enhanced by spice. A fatal combination that leads us to the ultimate Greek tragedy with the holy war that almost destroys the galaxy by the leap of a desert mouse. The extremities of slow and fast, cold and hot, inner and outer, Intimate and exposed are the real driving forces of Dune, both in book and on movie as well. And it is extreme on the level of storytelling. Some important details are neglected, some are overemphasized. It really feels like the personal vision of Mr. Villeneuve about this epic. I wish to state that the flows listed about are not making this movie worse, but if you know how to be in dialogue with different readings of the same text, then you may understand it. You do not have to agree with it, but can understand it. I do not feel it necessary to state the obvious, how awesome is the cinematography, the musical score, which is, I guess, the best of Hans Zimmer ever, something that is worth it to listen without watching the movie, even. So how great are the fighting sequence, etc. Everybody owes those features. But the details that I highlighted above, both the good and the bad, are what makes this movie an important instance of reception of a huge literary universe which was said to be impossible to put on the screen. With its flaws, Denis Villeneuve did it. 
and hopefully he can finish his work with part 2 and Dune Messiah. That is all I wanted to tell you after 4 days of thinking. Maybe later there would come more. Oh and one more thing. If you ever read it, dear Mr. Villeneuve, make the eyes of Ibad more vivid, please. Thank you. Thank you for joining me in today's analysis and mental travel into the world of metal and its culture. Thank you for your attention and interest. If you wish to get instant notification about new episodes, please follow the podcast on Spotify or Anchor. Please remember to look for the different social media surfaces of Dr. Metal. Each and every one of those could be found in the Linktree link at the description of the podcast. There you can find contact info, etc. All feedback is appreciated. Thank you very much. Next time I will wait you back.